0: thanks, Mitch. That was awesome. Wasn't that great? Yeah. I thought it was better than that. Uh, honestly, you already have it so yeah, that was all right yeah So. Uh, welcome everyone. We're glad that you're here. Today's a unique day. Today's the first day in fifteen years. I could not run the Mercedes Marathon, uh, so I guess some of you like so so I. Uh, <laughs> Chandler, way to go, 140-something? I saw your time. Good job. we still got a lot of people downtown running. I told them, look, if you don't come to church, you've got to talk to somebody about Jesus while you're running. So hopefully they, uh, they fulfilled that, that obligation. A uh, couple of things. One, thank you for your prayers for my surgery. Uh, a little over a week ago, for those of you who missed, um, I fell down, went boom. And uh, my shoulder went worse than that. So I had surgery last week, had like 11 pins put in my arm. If you want to see the picture, I got it. It's really incredible. I can't believe all these pins are in me. Uh, tore muscle in my arm. It was much worse than, it was about as bad <laughs> as it could be. Uh, so be in prayer for Kathy, who is uh, being the most beautiful nurse in the world and has taken care of me. And uh, anyway, she's doing a great job and Please be in prayer for healing. Thank you for, to Greg for stepping in and preaching for me last week, for our staff who just have really stepped up in the last couple of weeks while I've been out of commission. Thank you for your prayers. Um, still gentle hugs. Gentle hugs over the next week, if you don't mind, a couple of weeks. Uh, they told me it would be a three-month recovery. So it's like, three months? You've got to be kidding me. And I was like an overachiever, so I, said, I, I think I can do this in two. And so the guy would, no, it's going to be three. So thank you for your prayers. Uh, I want to move quickly in the, the sermon this morning. Um, you, for those of you who are regular tender at Fullness, uh, one of my children has already pointed out that the blanks are already filled in, uh, in the first two points. And let me give you a little background and where we're headed this morning. I don't want to move too quickly because I think this is a very, very, very important word. Um, uh, we've got some things to share. I'm going to share. Adam's going to share with you this morning a little bit. Uh, and so I, I want to uh, get to i 'm really aiming as you can see for the third point, uh, but i can 't really get there without giving the background of the first two and that 's just my nature, but i don 't think it 'll hit home as hard if you don 't hear the first two to hear the the third isolated by itself, but to save time, I filled in the blanks, although it wouldn 't appear that i 'm saving time because i 'm telling you about why i 'm saving time right so <clears throat> We've been in a series that's talking about story the power of story God's story his story the story of of creation and redemption and um, the fulfillment of all that God has God has a story that is being fulfilled of which we get to play a part there is our story there's the story of fullness the story of this church why God brought us together as a body of believers. Then there are individual stories, my story. What God is doing, every single one of us has a story, just like the blind man who was healed, who when questioned about all the theological implications of who Jesus was and his healing said this, look, I I don't know everything, but I know this. I was blind, now I see. And every single one of us has a story like that. And if we don't, then we don't actually have a story in Christ. Then Cheryl shared about how um, and did a great job. It's the story of faith, the woman, and a story of faith. How we speak to ourselves, our story of Christ's redemptive power in our lives. And today, I want to I want to acknowledge this this absolute truth that most of you already know. But what happens when the path of my story goes offline? What happens when a chapter in my book doesn't seem like it should fit there? Uh, most of us think of our lives as this continuum. I was here, now I'm moving here. We've read a lot of stories, and most stories have a plot line that they follow. There's some sort of tension, and then there's this line. But in, in, in real life, there are stories that just, there's a chapter that comes out of nowhere that you feel like, what the heck just happened? Where did this come from? This, has, this is not the plan. This is not the storyline. This is not the plot of my life. And yet almost every single one of us in here today could talk about something that has occurred in our life, how things have gone off track. And if we're, we're careful and we examine God's plans and God's purposes, we can come back to it after time to say, you know, God was there in the middle of all of this for something. It's hard when you're in the middle of it to figure it out, is it not? So, here's what I want to do this morning. There's an interesting chapter in Acts 27 that I want to give as a background, uh, the Bible story, and then overlay a little bit of the truths about these times that I'm going to call off-story. This is a chapter where Paul, I'm going to tell you the whole story and then I'm going to go back. Is that okay? Just kind of give you, so you won't. Don't try and read all of Acts 27. I'll kind of highlight with verses I want to put up there. Paul has gone on his third missionary journey. And on this journey, he's just basically gone to churches that he already knows, that he's already established. He's strengthened them. And at the end of that journey, he decides to go to Jerusalem because he wants to take an offering. He wants to worship in the temple. He's warned before he goes that if he goes, he'll be arrested. Paul nonetheless feels like it's of the Lord to go to Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem. He gets arrested, sure enough, just as the prophets told him he would. Then uh, his life is so much in danger in Jerusalem; the Jews are trying to kill him there. That he he is transferred by the Romans up to Caesarea, and there is um, Festus, which I think not the gunsmoke Festus, but another Festus. That I know that's a dated reference, right? Uh, Festus is there, and he gets to speak before others and. At some point in the conversation, Paul, who is both Jewish and a Roman citizen, has the power to appeal to Rome to get out of prison, to have his trial heard. It's kind of hard for us to kind of think in the terms of Roman Empire stuff, but being a Roman citizen had his advantages. And so Paul, because he was a Roman citizen, said, I appeal to Rome. So Paul is going to be transferred from Caesarea to Rome, which has always been his goal to go to Rome and preach. He just thought he would go there on his own, not as a prisoner. So he's going to be transferred as a prisoner from Caesarea to Rome. You with me so far? This is all background, but it's really important. Paul's goal, he's heard from God, you're going to preach in Rome. You're going to preach in Rome at some point. Paul has that in his heart. He knows it. So Paul, with a guard, a centurion, and evidently Luke, who's with him as well, because the way this whole passage is written is that we went, we went. You'll see in chapter 27, Luke is with him. So Paul, Luke, and this Roman centurion go to get on a boat to go from Caesarea to Rome. What happens is, they get caught in an incredible storm, two weeks in a storm, a storm where they think, they, they don't think, they know they're going to die, everybody but Paul. Everybody else thinks they're going to die. And then they're eventually shipwrecked on the island of Malta. So they go from headed to Rome, storm shipwreck, all in just a couple of week period. And you look at this, and you might say, well, why is a story like this? Because then he's on Malta for a while, and it takes a while to catch another ship. He eventually gets to Rome and chains where the book of Acts, where the book of Acts is going to end. But there is so much truth woven into this chapter about the storms of life, about what happens when our lives get shipwrecked, uh, and how do they get there and some different things. And I believe the story is in the Bible for us to say, you're going to have storms. When the storms of life hit, how are you going to handle it? What's it going to look like? So I want to move again through the first two points um, as quickly as I can without overly rushing to kind of head for the third point. First of all, so I'm talking, do you understand where we are? I'm going to talk about the storms of life, what we do as we handle, what are the causes, what is our usual reaction, how can we, how can we make it through? Anybody got a storm going on in their life? They would, anybody been through a storm? Anybody think they're going to go through a storm? Okay, the sermon is for you at some point. So, look at, let's look at the causes of the storm. In Acts 27, 9, and again, I encourage you to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to hit the highlight verses. They're getting on the ship, and Paul warns them, "Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous. I love Paul. <laughs> hey, this is going to be a disaster. It will also bring great loss to the ship and cargo into our own lives also. Paul warns them before they ever leave, if we leave, we're going to hit a storm. Now, I, I don't really have time to look at the causes of storms, but I, I'm looking more at the causes of why we're in the storm. Do you understand Storms come from all different places, really. Storms we bring on ourselves because of sin. There are storms that God allows to happen, like the storm on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus was able to demonstrate what he was, who he was. There are storms that we get caught up in that other people cause. There are just storms that are storms. So it, sometimes it's harder. If you focus on the cause of the storm, like you're blaming something, then it, it can take. it's hard to navigate it. But what I'm looking at here is what are the causes that made us get in the middle of the storm? And so the first one that I wanted to to say is sometimes we can be in the storm because we listen to the wrong people. We listen to the wrong people. In verse 11, it says, but then centurion. So Paul warns them, if we leave, we're going to get caught in a storm. But the centurion, the guard, the guy in charge says, instead of listening to what Paul said, follow the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Do you know that everyone is an expert? Just ask them. I mean, really, they, everybody around you, they know what's right for you. They, everybody's an expert around you. You could just look to your right or left Don't do it right now, uh, and, and you will see someone who has an has a who loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But the truth is many people are just wrong you need to know who to listen to listening to the wrong people can get you in the middle of a mess amen okay i gotta move these are great points but i think they'll hit They hit home and they're not really the the bulk of the sermon other reason we can end up in in a bad place is going with the majority since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in the majority decided we should sail on hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. You know, the, the, the harbor they were in was not ideal. So they took a vote. They're early American settlers. They said, let's take a vote, see what everybody says. Who wants to go? Yeah, let's go. Listen, listen to a majority. I got to tell you, though I'm, I'm a true-blood American, the majority, they're idiots. Thank you. I mean, really, really, how many times has someone said to you this? But, Dad, everybody's doing it. <laughs> I, and why? So? When does that majority opinion say what's right? You know, in God's kingdom, there is only one right. God is the one who determines what is right. I mean, we are, we are a theocracy, not a democracy. We are a people of the kingdom of God above all else. Before you're an American, before you're anything else, you are a citizen of God's kingdom. I mean, if there's anything this election is showing us, we are in danger of being a pack of idiots running off a cliff. God's never worked in a majority opinion. Never. Look at the nation of Israel. Twelve spies go out, ten come back and say, we can't do it. Majority of the people say, we can't do it. God says, you're right, you can't do it, so you're all going to (laughs) die. I mean, that was really his option. Okay, i got to move on. I'm sorry. Relying on circumstances, but again, these are really good, aren't they? Relying on circumstances, and this is just straight out of the chapter. Verse 13, it says, When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Circumstances seemed favorable for them to head out. The wind started blowing in the right direction. Everything seemed good. doesn't matter what this dude Paul says. Let's, let's hit it. How many times do we get in the middle of a mess because circumstances seemed like they were lining up? Do, 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 you, do you know that the devil has some control over circumstances? I mean, really, that's it, it, not an unbiblical model or ideal. Or I mean, there are instances where the devil manipulates circumstances. And if we're not careful, if we're not listening to God, then circumstances can lead us down a path where we're being guided by really really our feelings, rather than by the truth of God. Finally, walking in pride can, is one of the primary causes here as well, too. The overriding, who, who the, again, who are the experts? The captain, the ship owner. They're looking at Paul. The dude's a tent maker. He's a tent maker who's, who's been arrested. He's a prisoner. And, he, you know, he's a preacher. He's Jewish. What does he know? Walking in pride will shipwreck your faith. Paul, give one example, I'll just give you one. First Timothy 1, 19 and 20, holding on to faith in a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. He lists these couple of guys, and the evidence here is weighed toward they were more prideful in themselves than in who God was and the faith in his life, and as a result, it shipwrecked their lives and their faith. As a result, they end up in the middle of a storm, verses 14 and 15. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster Northeaster, swept down from the island, and the ship was caught in the storm and could not head into the wind. Listening to the wrong people, going with the majority of opinions. Everybody's doing it, everybody around me. Please, young people, take that out of you. Snatch that lie out of your vocabulary. following circumstances, walking in pride. Next thing you know, you're in the middle of a raging storm. What are our usual responses to being in this situation? Again, I'm looking straight at this passage, and this passage is just golden uh, for, I think, giving us what how people typically respond. What the sailors did in these next few verses really is key. It shows us many of our own responses when we end up in the middle of a storm. Their first response was to just drift to be at the mercy of the storm, so to speak. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. When the men had hoisted it aboard, and it's talking about the anchor, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together, fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Syrtis. They lor- lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven, driven along. They just went at the mercy of the storm. We let go of our goals. We let go of our destinations. We let go of where we think we're supposed to be headed because it seems like the storm is more powerful than anything else around us. Rather than holding fast, we just say, I just got to endure. You drift. Another response is to start to discard. We took, verse 18 of chapter 27, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day, they began to throw the cargo overboard. What happens in a crisis. Hey, I'm in a crisis. i got to start getting ridding, rid of stuff. i got to start unloading things. So they start throwing things out of their lives. They throw the cargo. Then they sh- throw the ship's tackle. They get to a place of desperation where they just throw the tackle. You know, the tackle is what steered the ship. You see the foolishness of this? They were afraid of the weight, and they're going to sink. So they're so, like, I got to throw this. I got to throw the tackle. They threw, then they throw the food overboard. They just start discarding. Man, my life is terrible. Things are going bad. I got to start getting rid of stuff. I got to get rid of my job. I got to get rid of the church. I got to get rid of my spouse. I got to get rid of this. I got rid of that. as if discarding will change our lives. The problem is usually us. And it's hard to discard us. So rather than discarding us, which is really the truth of the gospel, we start discarding the people and things around us. Which I believe leads to the next one, which is this, despair. Despair. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. The last thing you usually throw away is hope. You get rid of hope, and you feel hopeless. You've had it. I mean, picture this: fourteen days in the middle of a raging storm, total darkness, rain, wind. Did you read about the cruise ship that got caught in the storm last week? Uh, it was called Anthem of the Seas. Forty-five hundred passengers. I, I really, I've, I've only been on one little cruise in my life, but forty-five hundred people on the same place—it it, that really doesn't sound that fun to me. But no, nonetheless. They're on this cruise. They get caught in a storm, thirty-foot-high waves. I mean, the ship's being battered about. People are panicking, screaming. The captain has to lock it down. You know how long they were caught in this storm? From like three-thirty in the afternoon till around one a.m. So we're talking like how many hours is that? Less than fourteen days, right? It's like hours. And I mean, I'm not negating it to the point of saying it wasn't something. But, you know, the people getting interviewed as they came off, I mean, and within the span of eight hours, many of them were felt hopeless. I, we, I knew I was going to die. I knew this was it. We were going we to perish. Imagine going 14 days in a small ship, a couple of hundred people. When you forget that God is in control, you you are going to be prone to despair because you're not going to know where's this, con- where what is in control, who is in control. And then, disunity. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors left the lifeboat down into the sea pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. You get the picture? Hey, we're going to let these anchors down over here. And the next thing you know, the lifeboats are going down. Hey, where are the sailors going? What's happening with those dudes? And Paul says to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Wow, things are getting desperate. Disunity happens. The sailors say, hey, it's every man for themselves. Now we're going to hit the lifeboats. Now they've cut the lifeboats. There ain't no way off this ship. Here's my point. There, there are many different exterior causes for storms. And there are many ways that we end up in the middle of storms, and then we, there are many responses we can have to the storms of our lives. But I believe that there are, there are anchors, so to speak, that God provides for our lives in order for us to weather the storm, to make it through. Again, the question is not, are you going to have a storm? The question is, how are you going to navigate your way through it? Paul's reaction in the middle of all of this is incredible. It is one of confident faith. And I believe I believe the test of, of your relationship with God is what happens when you're in the middle of a storm. I, I would I would contend this too. Character is not built in storms, it's revealed in storms. And you, if you're not in the middle of a storm, you better get ready. Now is the time to work on character stuff. And character stuff to me is not major chunks. Character stuff is daily, bit by bit, moment by moment, discipline with God, praying to God, worshiping God, doing the right thing moment by moment, day by day. You know, we're doing this Bible reading, through the year Bible reading. And I hope you're still participating. I I would ask for a show of hands, but I, I... I want to stay on focus here and not think about who's doing it and who's not right now. Uh, but one of the things I, I, I find encouraging, even in my own life, is just the daily discipline, again, of saying, hey, everybody in our church, and I'm exaggerating, I know not everybody, but everybody in our church is reading the same passage today. Everybody's had the same thought of God is being planted through the word of God in, in our lives. So those things, to me, build character. They build unity. They build life. So jump on board if you're not. Uh, reading the Word of God. Here's what I want to ask, though. What happens in your life when things fall apart, when things disintegrate? And here's where, if you don't mind, and will allow me and my family just for a moment to be vulnerable to you, you would look at us, maybe, if you don't know our family very well, or even if you think you do know our family very well, and say... You know, look at Pastor Bart. He's, he has no idea what I'm going through. He has no clue. Um, I mean, what kind of troubles could he and this lovely group of people sitting on the front row have ever undergone? We all have issues. We all have problems. All of our lives have times where we feel like we're in the middle of a storm or we have been shipwrecked. What do we do then? So I've asked Adam to come and share his story with you. Adam will please be in prayer for him. He's not a public speaker. He would acknowledge this is not. I, I, when I asked him to do this, I, I'm amazed he said yes. And so I know this is a safe place. This is a people who love Adam, love our family. So listen to Adam as he comes and cheers.
1: Well, what I'm going to say is probably going to surprise pretty much most of you. Um, A lot of people, like my dad said, look at our family and just kind of think that we don't go through a lot of troubles or we don't go through anything that's really that bad. Um, I'm here to tell you that that's really not true and how my life really changed in one day. Uh, The weekend before I graduated high school back in 2011, um, I was arrested at the Hangout Music Festival in Gulf Shores for buying drugs. Um, i like to tell you that this was like a one-time deal and it was the first time that this has happened, but really it was more of a result of decisions that started my junior year of high school uh, pretty much based off of curiosity and became something I didn't really view as harmful. However, after I got arrested, everything that I had planned for the future changed right then. Um, I went from living with my best friend uh, and going to Auburn, who I got arrested with, to now living at home and being thousands of dollars in debt, and wondering how I was ever going to recover. Uh, Without the grace of God and the love of my family, I'm not really sure that I would have. Uh, I found myself caught up in the legal system, and I could not believe that I was sitting in a courtroom with my parents, a lawyer, negotiating the future uh, with the judge. Um, I was placed on two years probation. I had to call a number every day, for two years and if the color that I had been aside came up then I had to go take a drug test that day. Um, I had lost my license for six months and after court fees, drug classes, uh, and a lawyer I was almost $10,000 in debt. On top of that I had decided to go to UAB which was my absolute last choice of school to go to and had to pay for half of it. Um, as an 18 year old straight out of high school it seemed like a hole that was impossible to get out of. Uh, my parents kept the amount of people who knew about the situation very small to help protect me. Um, however, one of the people that knew about it was Coach Shoop, and upon hearing that I was going to UAB, um, offered me a job despite him knowing everything that was going on in my life, and I'm thankful for him for doing that and working with me uh, through all the challenges that hiring me presented at that time. My dad also drove me to the courthouse four hours away every three months for two years um, for every court date that I had. Even now, as that happened four and a half years ago, it's hard for me to look back and be thankful for what I went through. Um, I know that God has a plan for my life, and I don't know where I would be if that had not happened. Um, after I got off probation, though, and cleared all the legal things, my parents still had enough faith in me to let me study abroad in Spain uh, for a whole semester. I know that my parents and the people of this church prayed for me greatly during that time and that was truly a trip that changed my life and one that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't gone to UAB, a school that I ended up loving and it was really good for me and a place where I met most of my best friends today. Um, This past December, I just graduated from UAB and I'm looking into going to grad school in the fall, I mean in the spring of 2017. Um, Through this experience, I learned that God's plan is different than what I have planned also learned what love looks like in action by seeing my parents and seeing the sacrifice that they made uh, for me for what had to be a very disappointing and just difficult experience for them. I learned that the people of this church don't just say they love you, but are willing to put that love in action by praying for you, checking on you, and even giving you a job. I don't know what the future holds for me exactly, but I know that God's not through with my story yet and has great plans for my life.
0: Thank you, Adam. You know, it takes a lot of courage to share the failure stories of your life. And we believe, I believe, that Adam is a miracle of God. Um, we, when we started Fullness, those of you who know this, you know the story, that before we ever started Fullness, God gave me a word that Kathy was pregnant and that we were going to have a child as a sign of uh, the beginning of fullness. And Adam was born October 13th of 1992. Fullness was approved by the church we were a part of on October 14th, 1992. I mean, the day after Adam was born, the church was approved to start our tracks. Adam's life and the life of this church have been really uh, closely melded together. And we believe that Adam... Adam has, is a promised child with a destiny, but I believe that for every person in here. I believe that we each and every one of us has a destiny. But part of the truth of Adam's story is that Adam's story and our family story is intertwined because our lives together are woven together, correct? Let me back up a little bit. In the late fall and early January, five years ago, uh, I had in consult, consultation with the elders and with some of the leaders of our church, felt like we needed to make some changes in the Sunday morning worship to change it slightly, not to alter our vision or who we are but to change it slightly in order that we could reach out to those who don 't know jesus christ i had I felt like the bridge had become too far from those who were unchurched into a Sunday morning service at Fullness. And so, led by the Lord, we felt like we should shorten the bridge just a little bit. Little did I know that that was going to lead to um, challenges and difficulties. And there were people who left our church as a result of those decisions based on either where they thought we were going or where they sensed we were going or... And that many of them were long, long, long-time fullness people. It was incredibly, incredibly painful. And some of the things that were said during that time, some of them I deserved, some of them I didn't deserve. But they were very painful. And it was very hurtful. And it was wounding really for our entire church during those days. That same spring, my mother grew ill. And I had to make a lot of trips back and forth to... Jacksonville to care for her and she finally passed away in April of that year. Very emotional time as you can imagine losing, losing a parent. So December and January changes at the church. All of those are going on in the spring. My mother grows ill. She passes away in April. This happens with Adam in May. I, I really, I, some of the, the core component and values of my life were shaken. family, Friends, church, relationships, to top it all off, because of all that was going on in my life at the time, I don't know, there there were staff relationship weaknesses and other weaknesses in relationships that were being exposed, mainly because of me. If you remember back five years ago, I took a month off in the middle of the summer, suddenly at this time, to kind of regroup. I, I, I was in the middle of a storm. I was in the middle of a circumstance or situation where I felt like I, I was totally rocked. And if, if, if things didn't go, if God didn't move, I, I felt like my life was on the verge of being shipwrecked. And I was led to this passage, Acts twenty seven twenty nine it's an unusual passage and you might not look at it and say this is a passage that would really help you but it says fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks they dropped four anchors from the stern and they prayed for daylight what well, what do you do when you're in the middle of a storm you drift you discard you unload you despair during that time away, one of the things God led me to do was just to re-drop some anchors in my life. And I, I want to give you what I feel like God gave me as four anchors to help make it through the storm. Are you with me? You're still, you're still here? They're these. First is the presence of God. And they are from this passage. Again, I'm, I'm not making these out of nothing. These are really all here says so in verse 22, I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. This is Paul speaking. He says, last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. Paul gets an angelic visitation in the middle of this storm on a ship. Don't you wish you could have that sometimes? Yeah, it, you know, if an angel appeared in my bedroom that night and spoke to me and said something, sure. But you know what? You've got something better than the angel. You've got the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you right now. You have the presence of God. You know, the church is way, way over enamored with angels. An angel is a messenger of God. You have God in you. I mean, that's much, much better. And you, are, you have the, the presence of God indwelling you. It is an anchor for your soul. God says, I will, what, never leave you or forsake you. Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. The presence of God indwells us. And here's what happens in a storm. We can't see God. We don't have that angelic visitation. So we think God's presence is no longer there. And I want to tell you, just because I can't see God doesn't mean he's not there and his face is not on me. This week you read about Joseph in your Bible reading, didn't you? One of my favorite passages in the Psalms. You know, we, we look at the life of Joseph and what do we say? You know, devil meant it for evil, but God turned it for good. Devil started something bad, but then God flipped it. That is bad theology. Why? Because the Psalm says it was God who sent Joseph down to Egypt. It was never the devil's plan. It may have looked like the devil's plan. It may have appeared to be, but it was God who sent him there. So where was God when Joseph was falsely accused? Where was God when he was sold? Where was God when he was in prison? God was right there saying, my plan is being carried out. When you're in the middle of a storm, the presence of God is still there with you. It's one of the anchors of your soul. God also has a purpose that he's carrying out. Verse 24, he said, don't be afraid. This is what the angel says. Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. What God is saying is, look, the angel says to him, God, Paul, you're not going to die. You're not going to die because the God's purpose, my purpose for your life is for you to stand before Caesar. You know, I, I don't. I don't know the exact purpose of God for Adam's life, but the one thing Kathy and I knew in those moments was this was not it. What he was going through was something that needed to happen for the purpose of God to be accomplished eventually in his life, but we knew that purpose, and we weren't going to allow it to happen at that moment. God has a purpose for your life. I believe Adam has a destiny. I believe all of my children have a destiny. I believe you have a destiny. That's the purpose of God being carried out in your life. And the only, only one who can knock you off purpose is you. The only one. From a biblical standpoint, the the only person who can knock you off that purpose is you. What else can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Nothing else. Here's a great thing. It, it's like God's promise and his purpose go together. God has a purpose for your life. His promise is to be with you. Until God's purpose and promise is fulfilled, you are immortal. Hello? I mean, Really? Paul Paul is in the middle of a ship where they can't steer, they got no food, they got no nothing, The sailors are wanting to jump overboard. Angel says, hey, don't worry about it. Here's the promise. You're going to talk to Caesar. Nobody on this ship is going to die. The promises of God are what? Yes and amen. That means they're, they're always yes and they're always fulfilled. couldn't we relax a little bit more at times if we believed in the purpose and promise of God for each of our lives, for our children's lives? And Adam already mentioned this as well. Final anchor is the prayer of God's saints. Verse 24 says, God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you said in verse 29, fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern, and then what did they do? They prayed for daylight. They prayed for daylight. Adam mentioned it in his testimony, and we believe it as well, that the the victory that Adam saw in his life, even though it was a road he never would have chosen to take, came because people prayed for him. I mean, really, it, it wasn't based on mine and Kathy's parenting skills. I mean, we did the best. We tried to hear from God to know what to do. But I believe that what was accomplished in his life was accomplished because there were some people that were praying for Adam. There were some people who were praying for Adam who didn't even know what Adam was going through. They just love Adam, and they prayed for him. But there were others who specifically knew and, and interceded for him. Listen, I I have to tell you, I I know I am here today because of the prayers of people. I I know the prayers of my mom accomplished unbelievable things in my life. I know the fact that she was praying for me every single day. That's why that time in April when my mom passed away was such a blow, was because I knew, I always knew there was one person who prayed for me every single day. The prayers of God's saints. Who, who are you praying for? Who, who's going through a storm that you're praying for? They don't even know that you're helping them overcome. And does it matter that they know? It doesn't, but you have a part to play in other people's lives. As you pray for them, as you lift them up, the prayers of God's saints. These four anchors to me are critical people. They are critical. The presence of God, the purpose of God, the promise of God, the prayers of God's people will help us make it through the storms. Nothing else is going to get you through. As you saw, everything else is really just stuff to be jettisoned. But by the grace of God, we will make it. This story ends really kind of funny to me. Um, in verse um, James, that passage of prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Do you really believe that? It is powerful and effective. When daylight came, they didn't recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground. Verse 44, the rest were there to get on planks. Basically what happens is they shipwreck. They purposely wreck the ship. They find a sandbar and they They do the best they can. Because remember, they've thrown everything else overboard. They can't even really steer. But the best they can, they get it in a way where they can shipwreck it. It wrecks. You know how many people were on the ship? According to this passage, 276 people were on board. How many people survived and made it to land? They had to swim to shore. They had to get on planks. I mean, just getting to shore was going to be a problem. When they got on shore, they counted. 276. Hey, This is a side point. I think they were rescued because there was a godly guy on board. And this is another point. It might be good in the middle of a storm to get around godly people. Hello, Yeah, I mean it. Sometimes we protect one another whether we even know it or not. Those people owe their lives, really, to Paul. Here's my question to you. Are you a child of God this morning? Are you a child of God? You can be a great person. You can be really moral. You may be in a church all your life. You could be Catholic. You could be Protestant. You could be Jewish. You may have been to Sunday school. But, but that doesn't answer the question, are you a child of God? By that I mean, do you know God as the one who rules your life through Jesus Christ and has forgiven your sins? Are you a part of the family of God? If you are, then no storm can overwhelm you. No storm can take you down. To be absent from the body is to be what? Death has no victory over you. No matter what else happens, you have victory. You have life. Hope is an anchor for your soul. And you get that hope from knowing Jesus Christ is the one who rules your life and forgives your sins. I know there are people in a congregation this size this morning undergoing incredible storms. And I want to encourage you again this morning to just lower the anchors of the presence of God, the purposes of God, to know that his promises are yes and amen and that people will pray for you. And to do that, we want to pray for you right now. If you need help making it through the storm of something going on in your life, maybe it's health-related, maybe it's victory over sin, maybe it's, maybe it's relationship with a spouse or an ex-spouse or a, a, a friend or fa- other family members, I want you to come and receive, receive prayer. As I pray, our ministry teams are going to come to the front and I encourage you to come. And as we have, as Mitch leads us, we're just going to, we're going to spend some time praying for one another. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. And we pray right now, the spirit of God, you would move mightily among us. You would move in might and empower Lord, we acknowledge that there's a lot of reasons storms take place and there are a lot of responses we can have to them, but God, we want to see victory in our lives. Lord, some of the storms we're experiencing it are just a result of our own sin or pride or ignorance. And I pray, God, that you would deliver us from these things, that instead, Lord, we would hold firmly upon your truth, upon your purposes and plans for us. Come. Holy Spirit, minister life and truth this morning. Stand up if you would, and if you need prayer, just move right now as Mitch
1: begins to sing.